I just want to do God's will. The kind of revolution that the world needs is a Christian revolution. If you want a miracle, you've got to expect it to happen. You're the recipients of God's grace and God's blessings, and you rejoice in that reality. Hey, it's Life Today Live. I'm Randy Robinson. It's great to have you watching this, whether you're watching us live or later in the replay. We appreciate you stopping by and checking it out. We're going to try to give you some things to to think about. Uh, and you know, sometimes the best thing to do is to, to pause and think about something. And this is a lesson I have had to learn the hard way throughout my life, uh, because sometimes that first impulse is uh, not the best. Uh, and I have, I have learned, at least I've learned up here, whether I actually do it, you know, a little hit and miss at times to, to whenever I have a thought, just just kind of kind of take that. And Scripture talks about taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. What does that mean? I think it, I think it means whatever thought you you've, you're dwelling on, you go, okay, how does that compare to Scripture? And that's that's been a great practice. But we've got a few other things we're going to talk about today. And my my guest is a repeat guest uh, because the conversations have just been great. And so when when he wants to talk about something, I'm pretty much like, when can you do it? And that's uh, Jesse Bradley. He's a pastor up in the Seattle area at Grace Community Church. And he has a new book called The Power of the Second Thought. Uh, and he ties that to hope. We'll have to find out how he does that. But, I, I you know, just the whole principle here uh, I, I think is a really healthy and strong one and will get you through life uh, much smoother than the way a lot of us go through. And it'll sometimes... It can preserve a relationship, right? <laughs> anyway, we'll get into that. Jesse, how you doing, man? Good to see you. Randy, great to see you. I always feel like when we connect, I'm just sitting down with a friend, and I appreciate the tone you carry in these conversations. You always add value. And also, when I spend time with you, I just feel like God's in control. God's got it. We can trust God. So that's you kind of put us to ease. We appreciate that. I, I hope so, because I have been in control of my life. And let me tell you, <laughs> it doesn't always end well. So, no, I appreciate that. Let's jump into the book, because, I mean, I got a lot of thoughts on second thoughts. Uh, but I, I want to hear kind of where you're going in this. What's God put on your heart to tell people? The power of the second thought, that's a habit that we can cultivate, and it changed my life. It's a big part of my story and my restoration. The scripture you mentioned, take every thought captive, obedient to Christ. It's been said, if you take your thoughts captive, that's wise, because otherwise your thoughts can take you captive. And in Philippians chapter 4, we read, whatever's true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, or praiseworthy, think about such things. So I want to break down this habit into a couple parts, three parts, and it's very doable. It's practical. It's one of those habits every day, every situation where you live, work, learn, or play is helpful. And the first one is to recognize. Recognize your first thoughts. We have thousands of first thoughts every day. Mm -hmm. The National Science Foundation says a lot of them are not helpful. They might be mean or selfish, resentful. They might be not true. Start thinking about what you're thinking about. That's a good thing. God wants to empower us. God wants to renew our mind. And as you recognize the thoughts that are not coming from God, the second part is to reject. Mm -hmm. They're hope thieves. That's what these thoughts are that are not coming from God. You wouldn't say hello to a thief that showed up at your house. You wouldn't say, <laughs> come on in. 
let me make you a dinner. You want to stay for a while? I got the guest bedroom ready. Here's the key and the password to my safe. You wouldn't make a, a thief feel welcome. And you need to actually, like an air traffic controller, avoid a crash. And you need to say, not in my house. That thought is not going to land. I don't have to believe, harbor, or entertain the first thought. And then the third step is to replace. Intentional. A second thought that you choose. I love to memorize scripture. It wasn't a habit I grew up with. I didn't come to know the Lord until Dartmouth College. This habit that I'm talking about, I was in crisis mode. I played professional soccer through a tragic illness. It ended my career. I was fighting for my life for one year, and it took 10 years to fully recover. And I was a goalkeeper. That's what I was paid to do, keep the ball out of the back of the net. And during my recovery, I didn't know what to do with just an onslaught, waves of thoughts that were full of fear, anxiety, despair, and my mind would go in the ditch. I knew something needed to change and I went into goalkeeper mode. So those first thoughts wouldn't land and instead I would intentionally replace them with scripture. Psalm 46 verse one, I put it on my wall. God is a refuge, strength and ever present help in trouble. And if you're going through something difficult, it's powerful to say that, to focus on that because it shifts. Instead of just thinking about all the things that are going wrong, I'm gonna focus on God. If you focus on your problems, your problems grow. If you focus on the Lord, now you draw near, hope is relational, and God wants to renew our mind and start to restore. When your thinking is right, then it's going to lead to different responses, your attitude, even feelings as well. A lot of it is centered around our thinking. It's the battle of the mind. I think all of it is. If you look at someone's words and actions, we can criticize those, and rightly so. But it starts with your thoughts. I mean, you you want to get to the root. Let's talk about what you're thinking. So um, I, I like where you're going. All right, we gotta we gotta back this up a little bit. You've been doing too much Fox News. You you you, <laughs> you ran through those three points like like that. Like yes. we've got time here to unpack. So we're gonna unpack. I want to ask you about those first thoughts. Uh, where do you do you think all of our thoughts are our own, or is it possible to have? outside influences, whether it's just the world, another person, or, uh, you know, evil spirits giving us thoughts. What do you, cause I'm, and I asked, that's kind of a setup question, but right. I'm curious what you think about where our thoughts actually all come from. That's right. There are different sources and all those sources are valid. There's a spiritual battle. There's a dark world. Demons are real. The devil's real. The devil's native language is lies. And yeah. one lie that we believe can send our life in the wrong trajectory. So that's a reality. We also have patterns in this world that are not from God, different values, priorities, messages. We are bombarded mm -hmm. thousands of messages every day, and we need to be discerning in those. I think of kids in the public school system. They need to be discerning right away because they're getting bombarded with messages. Mm -hmm. And then we also have our own desires that are not good inside of us. The Apostle Paul says, what I want to do, I don't actually do it. What's best, I do the opposite. And sometimes we know what's true and right and good, but we need to be reminded. It's not always the new teaching, but it's the reminding. The Holy Spirit reminds us. So we battle with the flesh, the spirit of the flesh, the world or the word. These are every moment. These are choices that we make. But the good news is the devil can't make us do anything. The Holy Spirit's stronger in us, and God can help us and always gives us a way out in temptation. God doesn't tempt us. All those are real. You know, your question's great, Randy, because 
the illness that I experienced, it was the side effects of a medication to prevent malaria. And there were physical symptoms. My heart would beat 160 beats a minute sitting still, atrial flutter. It was one of about 10 physical symptoms. In addition to that, it produced anxiety, panic attacks that I'd never had before, waves of depression. Hmm. So my emotional equilibrium before the medication totally changed. Hmm. And I was used to being in control physically, you know, emotionally. I knew my own body and it felt like, who am I? What is going on? And this drug is causing all of these things. What's supposed to protect me is killing me. And I can't stop the constant thoughts of anxiety that are flooding in. But even in that, God still taught me a new tool and gave me a new ability that I didn't know. I didn't know about this habit before. There's passages where Jesus is tempted and three times he quotes scripture. Mm -hmm. He could have handled the devil in so many different ways, but he models it for us. And how many of us during the day when we're tempted, quote scripture? The word of God is powerful. It's our sword, the Bible says. Sometimes we're aware of a truth, but we're not actually living it out practically. And to have scripture that I started to memorize, now I'm ready. Because for all of us, whether it comes from the world, the enemy, our own flesh, we become familiar with our thinking, our thought patterns, and we identify what our usual temptations are. For some of us, it's fear. For some of us, it's insecurity. For some of us, it's despair. For some of us, you know, it, it just depends, but you know probably what's coming. And the message in my recovery, what was coming is, the doctors don't say it's gonna get better. My life isn't gonna get better. I don't have a backup career after soccer. How am I gonna make friends? It was this narrative of hopelessness mm. and I couldn't buy in. If you look today, a lot of people are receiving a narrative of hopelessness and don't let that taint your soul. Mm. You are still empowered by God and God wants to help you in that renewing of the mind to align with heaven and it's God's perspective, God's peace, God's presence that's greater than the world and hope is available to all of us in abundance. God doesn't run out of hope, he's the God of all hope and he can do a great work with our thinking and our minds. Yeah. Okay. You said so many good things there. One thing I, I asked the question a little bit as a setup because a couple of points. I love that you said that, that Satan's native language is lies. I think that's all he can do. Uh, and and you know I, yeah, I've watched the movies. You know where someone's possessed and they spin and they float and you know whatever. That's Hollywood. I think from just from a, a truth standpoint, all he can do is lie. I think he's been basically neutered from power through the cross, all he's got left are lies, which means the battle is in the mind, as many have pointed out. The other thing is that you said Jesus was tempted, and there is a strain in the church that will condemn you for your temptations. Uh, and I interviewed someone who had lived uh, as you know um, in homosexuality for many years and then come out of it and has stayed there you know, for like 20 or 30 years now. And he said, none of us choose how we are tempted, but we all choose how we respond. I thought that was powerful. Temptation is not sin. And I have people argue with me about that on a regular basis. But it's like Jesus was tempted and he never sinned, you know. Temptation is not sin. And so when we have these negative thoughts, what can follow them, and this is where I think the lie gets really potent, is, Mm -hmm. see, you're a bad person. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, that's just who you are. So accept it, you know, and 
And I think that is a dangerous place to be. It can be a hopeless place to be. I think we misapply the scripture that says if you if you hate someone, then you've committed murder. Because now I'm a murderer. And it's like, I don't think Jesus was equating all sins at that point. I think there was a commentary on the law because it says you have heard it is written. You know, So I, th- I think one thing we need to recognize up front is, yes, those bad thoughts can be a red flag and, and a warning that there's something going on in you that needs to be dealt with, but they can also be, you, you can deflect them. You can be like, nope, not going to, not going to have it. You know, okay. That thought went through my head, but you know what? I reject it. And I think that's the power God gives us. And through the Holy spirit, we actually can. So did you deal when you're having these, you had the medical excuse if you will not that it's an excuse it's very real but you know what i'm saying you could say okay that's the that's the medication talking um but sometimes i think we can go that no that i'm just i'm just a bad person we can feel the condemnation and that will rob you of hope quickly how do we get past our own thoughts to go okay i am not going to live by those thoughts i'm going to reject them and i'm not going to take the condemnation that goes with having those thoughts because we all have bad thoughts absolutely i love where you're going because it's full of hope jesus (laughs) came to set captives free he breaks strongholds he breaks footholds he breaks patterns i had to get rid of some old tapes a lot of us we rewind those old tapes don't (laughs) we our past failures mistakes Mm -hmm. those don't define us that's not who we are god's grace is greater than our past failure and to get rid of those tapes means you let go of guilt and shame when David sinned, not only did God forgive him, but he also explained as he was contrite, Psalm 32, Psalm 51, God, you also removed the guilt of my shame. God wants to take away the guilt and the shame. Sometimes people have this false notion that God is somehow honored if I just keep you know, being so hard on myself and carry guilt and shame. No, God wants to remove that. And this power of the second thought was not something I learned. I went to an Ivy League college, didn't learn it there, didn't learn it in school at all. It comes from God's word, and it takes a while to cultivate a new habit. I say that because you're going to need some patience and some persistence. Uh, Let me use a soccer analogy. Before I was a goalkeeper, I had no idea how to catch a ball. And that was the first stage, totally unaware. And then my coach said, you actually use a W, and this is how you catch. So the ball would come, shots coming fast. I would try to catch it with a W, and I wasn't even close, and the ball wasn't secure. But I, I was starting to try, and I couldn't do it. So going from aware to now trying, not doing it very well, in my mind during the games, I would be W, 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 W. <laughs> and that's all I'm thinking about, you know, and, and I would get the W on there, but still it was a little robotic and, and over-focused. Eventually that last stage, it's just natural. Now I'm diving to the upper corner, I'm catching it with the W, the ball's secure, and I never thought about W once. And what I discovered with the power of second thought in those four stages in developing a habit, at first it was strange to me. I didn't grow up with the Bible. So Mm. memorizing scripture was new. Okay, can I even do this? What verse? Where do I start? And then I started to memorize some scripture and the first thought would come in and it would just sit there and I would believe it. I would harbor it for an hour, for two hours. Sometimes it could ruin my day because it's still (laughs) lingering. And the time was too long. Eventually, I started to become more, and I'd have to think, okay, Psalm 46, verse 1, here it comes. Now I hit it, right? (laughs) E.B. Hill had an old sermon, hit it with the word, but I I would hit it. And I started to memorize scripture that would apply to different situations, and it became natural. 
I'll be honest with you. One of the most humbling things was because of my heart rate, I couldn't drive because of the stimulation and I couldn't drive for years. And it was scary then to step behind the wheel again. It was humbling to learn how to drive. And when traffic picked up, if there was a close call, my heart rate would take off because again, my heart wasn't regulating itself. Mm -hmm. Uh, All that to say, Isaiah 41.10 is what I chose, right? Do not be afraid, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you and uphold you with my righteous right hand. And I would say that as I'm driving and breaking through those fears, breaking through those limitations, God's word is powerful. Mm -hmm. And God will meet you at that place where you're, let's say you have past failures or you have an addiction grab a hold of the scripture. I love to ask people, what's your scripture or what's your second thought? Mm. Choose it. Cause mm-hmm. if you don't recognize, you don't identify one, you're not going to use it. So today you're probably going to be tempted a hundred times. Temptation's not a sin. I'm so glad you made that point. <laughs> and in that temptation, God always gives you a way out. Use his word. What's your scripture for today? What is that verse? Or if you're going through a time of grieving, what's that verse? I like to say that, you know, we grieve with hope. And where is your hope as you're grieving? You need to do both, grieve and with hope. But a lot of people grieve and they don't have hope. Grieve with hope. So what's that verse? Here's another one. Perfect love drives out fear. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are probably struggling with anxiety. A lot of worries. People lose them sleep at night. Perfect love drives out fear. Start to say that. Think about it. I believe meditation is one of those overlooked habits in the Christian walk. And there's a lot of meditation in the world today, and it's not biblical meditation. And they'll say the goal is to clear your mind and make it all empty, to have nothing in there. <laughs> right, right. It's like, no, God's meditation is to fill your yeah. mind with mm-hmm. his goodness, his presence, his truth. And then there's an overflow of hope. Mm-hmm. But sometimes Christians just push aside meditation like, oh, that's just new age stuff or that's just, you know, a bunch of junk. No, meditation is throughout the word. And God said to Joshua, if you're going into a new season, God's called you into something. It's a little, you know, it's bigger than you. You need to rely on God. This is what God says. Meditate on my word. You're going to be prosperous. You're going to have courage. You're going to be successful. So let's go back to some cultivating some of those habits that God's given to us. Because hope is habitual and hope is relational. It's a both and. I like that. I like that. Uh, hit it with the word. That, that's good. Uh, you know, med- meditation without scripture is new agey, but meditation with scripture is scriptural. <laughs> and, and so, yeah, I mean, well said. It, it's really about filling up. Uh, this is the book, The Power of the Second Thought by Jesse Bradley. It's available now wherever you get books. And it'll, it'll, it's a good, he's a good coach. I mean, right. He's, soccer player professional soccer player so i mean he's had a little coaching he knows how to coach and uh, and you won't learn soccer other than the w yeah you'll learn how to take every thought captive you ask about a scripture there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in christ jesus i like that one for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in christ from the law of sin and death because what the law couldn't do christ did and that right there i mean that's like hope right there because you know the I, and part of that's my upbringing. You didn't grow up in the church. I did. Where they're like, oh, you got a tattoo. You know, oh, you're doing this. It's like, whoa, hang on. Let's let's back it up. How critical. I mean, you you just laid out beautifully how you replaced the the negativity, the stress, uh, all, all the emotions that were running wild with 
scripture. Um, I just, I don't know if we can stress enough how important it is that we make it a, a, a practice, not out of duty, out of obligation, out of condemnation, but because it's life-giving. It's just like I have to discipline myself to drink enough water every day, you know. But, man, when I'm over, uh, you know, if I'm if I'm somewhere in the desert, you know, over in Africa, you realize, no, I don't just need water. I want water. I have to have water. What's the Scripture done, man? And what do you see it doing in other people's lives when they make it a, a life-refreshing uh practice as opposed to a duty to know the absolutely scripture. i'm so glad you emphasize that because this is a relationship with god that we enjoy mm. it's life-giving and hope i said is relational hope is a confident and joyful trust in someone or something and you can put your hope in a lot of different things but when you put your hope in god an anchor for the soul mm -hmm. and your faith and your trust because that's the core of hope is trust your, your hope is only as strong as the one in whom you trust. That's good. When you put your trust in God, now your hope is strong. And trust and faith grows, they're synonymous, as you hear the word of God, as you meditate on the word of God. And God starts to win victories in battles that you didn't even know you were in the middle of. <laughs> and God starts to make changes in your life. Let the word of God dwell in you richly. It's not just you get in the word but the word gets in you. Mm -hmm. And this was a major shift in my life. I didn't even realize I had a performance-based identity. Mm. And a lot of people have that, we of do. course, in sports, but then in other professions, even in the church, performance-based. And that's a cruel roller coaster ride. That's not from scripture. <laughs> that's inflated, deflated, pride, shame. Who we are is not what we do. And the more I started to meditate on scripture, I realize my identity can't be in something that I lose. Mm. If your identity is in your job, you might lose your job. If your identity is in your career, you might lose your career. Your money, you might lose your money. I can't put my identity in something I'm going to lose. And when I lost my soccer career, I was wrestling with a who am I? Mm. And I needed to make a shift because hope is a choice. Identity is a choice. And when I put my trust in my identity, that my deepest identity is I'm in God's family, I'm accepted, love, and it's in God's presence and his grace. And that promise is something no one can take away. The gates of hell won't prevail against it. Not even death can stop the promises of God. And you mentioned the one, there's no now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We got Romans chapter eight, verse one. There you go. <laughs> the book of Romans is filled with those. And when you grab hold of one of those, here's why it's powerful. When you talk to Americans overall, over half of America thinks you earn your way to heaven. Mm -hmm. Well, we know right there through the book of Romans, it's not by works. And now you have a lot of Christians who are saved, but they have no eternal security. If you ask them, are you making it to heaven? They would say, I don't know. I, I hope so. Hope is not maybe. In the Bible, <laughs> hope is yes. Like we have this hope already. God guarantees it. God promises it. So whether it's your eternal security, whether it's a late night where you can't fall asleep, or it's your identity, on all these levels, when you memorize scripture and you start to align your thoughts with God, mm -hmm. God rearranges, recalibrates, and this health comes. Yeah. We're living in a culture that's all the outward story, and we need to work on the inner life and the inner story because we can't share what we don't have. And God's word fills us up with hope. It fills us up with peace. And you can't fake that. 
Hmm. It's that non-anxious presence. I mean, I think that's why people enjoy talking to you, Randy. There's a non-anxious presence and there's a confidence in God. And you can't fake that. It's either deep in there. You're not going to take people deeper than you go. And when you go deep with God, now you start to share that with other people. And yes, you're going to use words, but they pick up on it long before you use words. I remember before I came to know Jesus, I started to read the Bible for the first time. It was assigned at Dartmouth. It was interesting. I had questions. And I also was reading Mike because Mike was the first Christian I met who said, <laughs> I'm a Christian and I was going to watch his life. And he had something I didn't have. And, and I didn't know what it was, but there was something in him that I knew I wanted. And the more I asked about the Bible, I saw Mike's life and the Bible match up. And it was like, okay, there's something there for me. Mm. And, and you started with desire. If you don't desire something, how much of it are you going to have? Yeah. And when you desire God, you desire his word. It's not forced. It's not legalism. That's, there's so much dead religion. Mm. We don't need that. Mm. This is a vibrant relationship. And taste and see that the Lord is good. Yeah. Uh, it's so good. So here's here's the thing, and, and by the way, I'm, it, I love that you recognize the address. I'm terrible with biblical addresses, which were added later, by the way, uh, just just so people that get upset that I don't know exactly where a place is found. That was added later. <laughs> but Great. Romans, that book, Romans, I, when, when I'm talking to someone who is a new Christian, um, you know, I'm always like, start with John. It explains what the gospel is and what it means. Uh, and then I recommend Romans. And here's what I love about Romans. It's, it's Paul explaining Christianity to a secular culture, right? Yes. Uh, and, and, and making his argument, building his arguments, which, again, if you haven't read Romans from, like, beginning to end, I think that's the way you've got to read it because it's kind of a legal case Paul is building, and one idea builds upon the other. And we can pluck verses, but you got to know the context. So my, my two cents on the Scripture. Yeah. You're up in Washington, uh, you know, West Coast, is nicknamed the left coast, you know, by the rest of the country. Um, how is this, how is this hitting when, because I mean, it's, there's so much uh, anxiety and despair in, in our country right now. It's really yeah. kind of wild. So, I mean, I, I hear it and see it and, and it just baffles me at times. I don't know. It shouldn't surprise me, but when you, right. when you are preaching this to a, a secular culture up there, what kind of response are you getting? People are searching right now. Yeah. Gets us national campaign. Seattle was the number one city in terms of interest. Hmm. And so people are looking. They might not be ready to go to church, but they're ready to talk about Jesus. Hmm. And as you said, in our country right now, American Psychological Association, more stress than ever. Center for Disease Control, more deaths by drug overdose yeah. than ever before. We're hitting a crisis with mental health and hope, and people are searching and starving. And we read in Scripture, Romans 15, 13, the God of all hope. He gives us peace and joy as we trust in Him. Yeah. We've had digital campaigns. In one campaign, we saw 480,000 people around the world decide to follow Jesus. Hmm. When you share the gospel, here's in any setting, but especially in places like the Pacific Northwest, Seattle is the second highest de-churched city <laughs> in the entire nation. Here's three things. First of all, know what you believe. Yeah. When we say the gospel, there's two parts. Jesus died for our sins, and he's risen from the grave. It's not just that he died for our sins. If there's no resurrection, there's no gospel. Yeah. So what do you believe? It's important. You can share good news. He died for our sins, and he's risen. That's of first importance. That's what Paul says, 1 Corinthians 15. So know what you believe. 
Second, know why you believe it. And Romans unpacks so much. And not only the theology that you see in the first, you know, especially eight chapters, then it talks about Jew and Gentile, and everyone's talking about the Middle East. That's so relevant. Mm. And then you got Romans 12 through 16. It's all practical, loving each other. Yes. People are starving for love in our culture right now. It's so relevant. And so you can start to share, this is why I believe. This is why I believe the resurrection. Here's evidence. This is why I believe Jesus. And start to share the validity of the Bible. And when you're a parent, you not only tell your kids what you believe, but why you believe it. That's important. They need to know and be equipped. And they're going to be in a lot of settings that it's not friendly to faith. It's hostile. And they're going to be answering those tough questions or online. Here's the third part. Always know your story. Paul shared his story three times in the book of Acts. We're reading it. You might think, wait, I think I've heard this before. <laughs> he, he knew how to do it in different contexts. He knew a shorter version, a longer version. He knew his audience. Share your story. It's disarming. And, and here's one of the things I would mention is listen well. Because when you listen, people know you care. You're not just in there to try to push them into something, right. but, but it's relational. And the Bible says, be slow to speak, quick to listen. That's true with God, with other people. I'm an extrovert. That's so convicting, that verse right there. I got to tell myself that verse, second thought all the time. But when you listen well, it'll open up the door. Now, when you do talk, you know the other person better. You have a better sense what to yeah. share. What yeah. are they looking for? And all of that comes together. Ultimately, the Holy Spirit leads us because... We can't save anyone. You right. just be faithful and trust God with the results. Mm -hmm. And I can't change any heart. The laws of the land are important. They protect us. They provide. But the law doesn't change the heart. Yep. In the book, uh, in the Bible, or look at Romans, in the law, the Old Testament, the law. The law, it's powerful because it reveals God's character. Mm -hmm. It shows us that we fall short. And it directs us to the Savior. But it's God's love and grace that changes our lives and our souls forever. Yeah. We're not saved by law. We're saved by grace, undeserved gift. And people need to hear the gospel of God's grace. And Christians, it might be the most difficult thing you do. It's a relationship risk. It's going to challenge your idol of being comfortable. And spiritual maturity is not retreat from the world and only have Christian friends and only have people who look like you and talk like you. That's not Jesus's vision of spiritual maturity. It's yes, we need fellowship. And yes, we need to be bold and courageous and laid on our lives to serve, listen, and love this world and share with people who are looking. They're actually, they're praying. They're like, God, where are you? They're literally praying. Mm -hmm. And they're just waiting for someone to come along and have a safe conversation about Jesus and share some good news. People are starving for good news right now. Yeah, well, you are giving it to them. And, and I love it. All right, I'm going to show you uh, Jesse's website. This is Jesse bradley.org it's got the book there on the website you can, you can go there and pick that up if you want to uh, but most of all uh, here man hear what he's saying because this is so this is so important and you know he talked about the law the law is a tutor it's a teacher it's an instructor we're supposed to mature in christ and then it just comes out and, and we don't live you know under a set of rules and regulations other than paul says in the law of love you know um, and it, it, it will produce the fruit that we want. Uh, you don't have to strive for the fruit. You stay connected to the vine. The fruit will naturally come out of it. And one of those, I, I you know, I see it is the hope that Jesse has, and you can have it too. If so, if you, if you're feeling thirsty for that hope, just, I mean, connect to that vine. That vine is Christ. 
get in the word. It will start to come. Don't believe the first thoughts. Take control of it. Replace it with what God says, and, and you can be on, on that path to a, a healthy, vibrant, fulfilled life, and you can impact others. All right, Jesse, I want to give you the last word. What are you, what are you doing for Thanksgiving this year? We are having some people over, international <laughs> students from Myanmar and uh, wow. sharing Jesus. We, we have a man in our church who's one of the oldest uh, serving in our church. We're having him over. And then uh, we're just going to have a lot of fun with this great food. Uh, you know, I just love what you said with John 15, abide. That's our church. We say abide and respond. Abide is relational and then respond in the power of the Holy Spirit and that promise, abide with Jesus, you will bear much fruit. And uh, that's yeah. the heart of this relationship with God. So whether it's Thanksgiving uh, or it's a different time, uh, in every setting, abiding works. In every situation you're in right now, abiding works. And Thanksgiving, just a reminder, it's God's will to thank God in all circumstances. Not all circumstances are good, right. but that gritty gratitude to start to <laughs> give thanks to God it, it's good for your mental health. It lessens anxiety. It's good for your physical health. Studies show even for your heart, long life, and your spiritual health. Yeah. Giving thanks to God is wise. Like a thermostat sets temperature room. Uh, Randy, you do a great job of setting the culture. You set the culture in your own heart and in your own house. And gratitude is not about how much you have. I learned that in Africa. Gratitude <laughs> yeah, is a choice. Right. I know. And, and they were so grateful. And I thought, how can they be so grateful with so little? Mm -hmm. And then it just, I'm like, that's how I want to live. And yeah. Thanksgiving is a great opportunity to stop and thank God. Give God glory for the blessings in your life. Don't try to steal the credit. Not to us, not to us, oh Lord, but to your name. Because of your love and faithfulness, we give you the glory. And I sincerely thank God. I, I, my life was a mess um, before I knew God. <laughs> And then even in this recovery from Africa, I'm summarizing it now, you know, and I've processed it and I can share about it. Mm. But at the time I was in survival mode, I was just clinging to God and God was showing me there's a renewal of your mind. And yes, God, hope is available. Hope is relational. Hope is habitual. You cultivate it. And I'll end on this. Hope is indestructible. Mm. The hope of Jesus no one can stop it. No one can take it away. It's always available to you in abundance. So receive God's hope as you abide with Jesus today. I love it. And, and like you said earlier, hope our hope is not in hope alone. Our faith is not in faith. It, it's in a person. It's in Christ. It's in someone who is real. Uh, and that man, an anchor for the soul. Appreciate you, man. I hope you have a great Thanksgiving. Thank you so much, Randy. Uh, let's all enjoy family. And... Uh, don't make it too spicy in the conversations. Redirect it. Build some people <laughs> yeah, right. up. Show some love. Just remember, be kind. Be kind in the family reunion. <laughs> It'll be a lot of fun. Yeah, if, if someone if someone pokes you with something, take a minute to have a second thought and go, hmm, okay, what does Christ say about this? How should I respond? It'll, it'll might save you some heartburn after your, your Thanksgiving meal. All right, man. Uh, I hope you have a, a wonderful time. Uh, I hope you come back. Well, can we do this again sometime? Anytime, Randy. I always enjoy it. Thank you. <laughs> right. I love yeah, it. Appreciate, appreciate you guys. You. I hope you and I can do this again. If you're watching, come back. We've got a lot of good uh, people lined up. Uh, I've got, by the way, I will be out uh, the next three days for uh, Thanksgiving. Tomorrow is my mother's, uh, well, my dad said it on the air, so I can say that. Tomorrow is my mother's 80th birthday. So we'll be celebrating with her for lunch because they're 80, and so dinner's like at 3.30 for them. So we're having lunch early, and uh, so I'll be out tomorrow and then off for Thanksgiving. But I have some really good interviews. Uh, 
lined up for you. So it'll look like I'm here, but if I don't answer your, your chat, it's because I'm not actually here. But come back. We've got great programs lined up for you. Noon Central Time every day here on Life Today Live. And have a good Thanksgiving since I won't be live to wish you a happy Thanksgiving. Uh, and if you haven't like, follow, subscribe, do that. And hit share. Share some hope today. Uh, and you can uh, give somebody something to be thankful for. See you again next time here on Life Today Live. It is the believing of the heart. It is the